guys don't understand is, for us, kissing is as important as any part of it. Yeah, right. <laughs> Serious? <laughs> oh, yeah. Everything you need to know is in that first kiss. Absolutely. Yeah, I think for us, kissing is pretty much like an opening act, you know? I mean, it's like the stand-up comedian you have to sit through before Pink Floyd comes out. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's not that we don't like the comedian. It's just that that's, that's not why we bought the ticket. <laughs> you see, the problem is, though, after the concert's over, no matter how great the show was, you girls are always looking for the comedian again. No, I mean, we're in the car, we're fighting traffic, basically just trying to stay awake. Yeah, well, word of advice. Bring back the comedian. Otherwise, next time you're going to find yourself sitting at home listening to that album alone. Are we still talking about sex? <laughs> All right. So are we still talking about sex? Well, this morning... We will be talking about sex. Now, um, I don't know about you. I grew up in a very conservative home, and I grew up in Douglas, which is a very small town in the middle of the Northern Cape, close to Kimberley. And um, the Platteland is more conservative normally by default than the city. So this was definitely not a topic of conversation in our home. My dad and I didn't sit down when it became to puberty level, and we had a talk about sex, but the conversation was had. I remember my first real conversation around sex and sexuality. I was in late primary school speaking to boys who were in high school, and they became my sex educators. Now, you can just imagine what that would look like. Then um, in high school, I went to boarding school in Kimberley. Now I'm in the city, although Kimberley is a Platteland city. Um, and there, the conversation escalated. And um, you can just imagine what happens in boarding school. But these conversations around sex and sexuality shaped my view of sex and sexuality, my own, but also how I interact with this topic with the world around me. And the, the challenge is that whether you and I are aware of it or not, this conversation is happening everywhere all the time. Um, sex sells. It's used to sell motor cars. I have no idea what the girl in the bikini has to do with that car, but she's there. Um, so it is in everything around us, in the music we listen to, the movies we watch, the series we watch, the series we shouldn't watch, that we watch, the greeting cards. It's almost like the comedy shows. If you can add an element of this to it, then it's funnier. Now, whether you are actively participating or not, that conversation is also being had. And in a way, you and I are being shaped by this conversation. Now, Paul writes in Ephesians 5, he says, from verse 15 to 17, he says, See then that you walk circumspectly. Now, that word circumspectly means to walk cautiously as one would walk through thorny terrain. Whom of you have walked through thorny terrain? Whom of you have stepped on thorns in thorny terrain? It's not nice. So walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So there's an agenda in the world, in the culture we live in. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 
Friends, how do you and I walk not as fools but as wise people in thorny terrain, in days that are evil, when there are agendas that are opposite to the kingdom of God that wants to take something that was given from God and make it something different? How do you and I walk in a way that is not foolish but wise to know the will of the Lord? And that's what we'll speak about this morning. There are three cultural attitudes to sex, and I'll quickly run through them. The first one is sex as natural appetite. When you felt like doing it, you should do it, like any other appetite. If you are hungry, you should eat, but don't overdo it. Don't eat late at night because that doesn't burn fat, all right? It just puts up calories and then you wake up bloated. So sex as a natural thing is seen as a normal part of your sexual drive, your desires, and when you have an urge, you should act upon it, but don't overdo it, and be aware of some of the consequences. And scarily, this is the main narrative in our public schools right now, that you need to know your body, you need to know your sex drive that has been given to you, know what is safe sex, know what are things that you need to be concerned about, and what are things that you need to be cautious of. But as long as you feel like doing it, do it. I came upon an article where someone um, who was in a type of relationship that wasn't in line with Scripture, he made this comment. He said, It is my personal unorthodox belief that God really doesn't care so much about what we do so long as we are responsible, prayerful, and generally good. So this is a guy who says, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, but I don't really think that God cares about what I do as long as I am responsible, prayerful, and generally good, please show me the scripture that backs up that belief system. You won't find it. God cares very much about what we do. Sex as animal passion. And this was seen where we elevate the spiritual side as higher and the natural fleshly side as lesser, but also a little bit degraded. That there's animal parts to it and that should just be suppressed, but then sex becomes a necessity to procreation. So it is in a way tainted, it is in a way dirty, and it's not something we speak about at all. It's definitely not something we speak about on a Sunday. It's not something we maybe speak about in our marriages because it is in a way, has, it has been tainted and it's been viewed as dirty. Now, unfortunately, that view has become the predominant view sometimes in churches where we adopt that view, specifically in conservative culture. And then the last one is sex as repressed creativity. That's the romantics. Any romantics in here? Don't raise your hand right now. <laughs> While the first perspective sees sex as an inevitable biological drive, and the second views it as a necessary evil, the last view sees sex as a critical way of self-expression. Having sex is a way that you get to know yourself, a way to find yourself, but also a way that you get to express yourself. For biological realists, all sex is right if it is safe. For platonists or the animal passion people, the flesh inhibits the spirit, so sex is naturally tainted in some way. And then for romantics, the quality of interpersonal love is the primary touchstone that makes sex right or wrong. Do you love her? Then sex is okay. So these are the views that we see in culture, and the challenge is that all of us are being shaped by this conversation in one way or another, and we take this belief system into our relationships, into our marriages. And if you've got a view that sex is dirty, sex is shameful, and remember, it's not just what we, what we see portrayed in media. 
Some of us have had experiences that are either good or bad, that have been regretful or shameful or painful. And these things shape our beliefs around this topic. And we somehow think that the moment I get married, sex will be beautiful. Statistics show that people who have interacted in um, extramarital, premarital sex struggle with great sex in the marriage. So we sometimes say that sex belongs to the devil until we get married. And as a church, we say, no. Let's practice that. Say, no. We need to know how to say no. Okay. Say no. So the biblical view of sex, and I'm going to try and do three points this morning. Rudo said I must hurry up. If we are quick and the kids are still in kids' church. No, I'm joking. First point, sex is a gift from God. Sex is a gift from God. Genesis 1 verse 18, it's the first command that God gives. Go forth and multiply. Now, friends, that is a very intimate command. It says, know one another, intimately know one another, become one with one another, go forth and multiply. That's the first command. Then verse 31, God looked at everything that he had made and he said, it is very good, very good. Sex is a gift from God and the gift takes upon itself the nature of the giver. If God is good, then the gift is good. If God is good, then Sex is good. God is holy. Therefore, sex is holy. If God is spiritual, then sex is deeply spiritual. Contrary to what culture teaches, that sex is just a physical thing. It's just my body. It's just me expressing myself or interacting with my desires. It's just the flesh because nothing else will be, um, will be influenced by this. No, sex is deeply spiritual because God is spiritual. Sex is a gift from God. Secondly, sex has a purpose. The first one that we saw in Genesis 1 is procreation. That it's part of our response to our created design to procreate. God has a desire to fill the earth with His image. Now, you can adopt a view to say, no, I never want to have children. Um, and you'll, you'll have your own um, reasons for getting to such a, a, a position But if we go back to the original design, God said, go forth and multiply, fill the earth with my image. Secondly, sex has a purpose in it is for pleasure. I'm going to read from the Bible, I promise. Song of Solomon, (laughs) chapter 4. I chose a part of Song of Solomon that we can read this morning. It says from verse 10, So this is the husband speaking. How delightful is your love, my sister. Friends, he's not speaking to his sister. The word sister there denotes friendship and intimacy, closeness. All right. Because husbands, we are friends with our wives, right? Right? Yes, most of the times. Okay. How much more pleasing is your love than wine and the fragrance of your perfume more than any spice? Your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb. My bride, milk and honey are under your tongue. This is not from that book, Fifty Shades of Something. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. 
Your plants are an orchid of pomegranates with choice fruits, with henna and nard, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with every kind of incense tree, with myrrh and aloes and all the finest spices. You are a garden fountain, a well of flowing water streaming down from Lebanon. Awake, north wind, and come, south wind, blow on my garden, that its fragrance may spread everywhere. And then the woman responds, let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. If you read the Song of Solomon, the whole book, and you didn't know it was the Bible, you probably wouldn't have put it in the Bible. But God did. God put it in the Bible. You see, because sex has a purpose, and it has to do also with enjoyment and with pleasure. And in marriage, couples can unashamedly explore, unashamedly be adventurous, unashamedly talk openly about it. Couples should talk openly about it. In our premarital training and our marriage course as well, one of the key aspects of a healthy marriage is you almost fell into the trap. Communication. <laughs> you have to communicate about what you like and what you don't like. And in the marriage bed, there is no shame. There is no guilt. There is no reservation because God has made it as a gift and it is beautiful. Men, remember that romance starts in the morning, all right? Okay, you can't expect something if you didn't even greet someone properly in the morning, correct? And know one another's love languages. Men are primarily stimulated by what we see. Women are primarily stimulated by what we, what they feel. I said we, I'm not a woman. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> I do have feelings, Okay. I do have feelings, but we need to be able to understand one another and communicate to one another. I need to know in what way does my wife receive information. I need to speak her language for her to understand it and vice versa. And it is so important that in communicating one another, we get to share what do I like, what do I not like. Sex has a purpose. It unites us. Sex is, um, works as a covenantal renewal ceremony. So the Bible spoke about um, the two becoming one flesh. And in sex, it's the ceremony that celebrates this uniting, this oneness. Now, in church, we have a sacrament called communion. And in communion, we um, celebrate and we remember the covenant of our relationship with Jesus. So when we partake in communion with the wine and the bread, we remember what Jesus has done for us. We remember how his body was broken for us, but we also remember that we have been made one with him. I do not belong to myself anymore. I have given myself completely to Christ. Therefore, I'm in a covenant relationship with him. The marriage is exactly the same. When you are married, then you give of yourself in completeness to the other person. You are joined together not to be separated again. And then sex is the sacrament that seals and rejuvenates this covenant. I want to read something. Marriage is a covenant, one that creates a place of security for vulnerability. But though covenant is necessary for sex, sex is also necessary for covenant. The covenant will grow stale unless we continually revisit and reenact it. Sex is a covenant renewal ceremony for marriage. 
the physical reenactment of the inseparable oneness in all other areas, economical, legal, personal, psychological, created by the marriage covenant. Sex renews and revitalizes the marriage covenant. Sex renews and revitalizes the marriage covenant. In, again, in our trainings, and um, I can't say much on a stage on a Sunday, but for those who are getting married, our premarital course speaks into this, the importance of sex, the importance of this uniting that needs to take place. At our marriage retreat coming up, they're going to speak into the, the value of intimacy, sexual intimacy, because it's an, it's an important part of our marriage covenant. And for this reason, because sex unites us, it is encouraged to practice it regularly. No amens. Okay. Thank you, Eugene. For this reason, sex should be practiced regularly. Paul goes further in 1 Corinthians 7. He commands it. He says that you should not deprive one another lest you fall to temptation. You see, regular sex also protects the marriage bed. It protects one another. So it's encouraged, it's commanded. And here, sex is about pursuing physical, emotional, sexual, and ontological union. It's about submission, exploration, discovery, and delight. You are allowed to enjoy it. That's good news, right? That is good news. Quickly turn to your neighbor and... No, I'm joking. Don't say anything to your neighbor. So sex is a gift. Sex has a purpose. And then finally, sex has a place. Sex has a place. Sex has boundaries. Hebrews 13 verse 4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Sometimes when you go into the detail of the word, we speak about, because you won't find a, word, a scripture that says, hey, if you're not married, don't have sex. But here, Paul, and in the next scripture, 1 Corinthians 6, that I'll read just now, Paul addresses the sexually immoral, but he also addresses the adulterous, so that it's not the same thing. So he's not just speaking about people who are married who are having sex with someone else other than their wife. It's speaking generally about all sex that is not in the marriage covenant because that is where God designed it to be, in the marriage covenant. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Now this morning we are specifically talking about sex we're not even touching on everything else like pornography and all of that. But it's included in this, that we should flee from sexual immorality because it is a sin against your own body. Sex in any context accomplishes this purpose. You give of your entire self to the other person. Whether you are in a committed relationship or not, because sex is spiritual before it is natural. If it is from God who is spiritual, it's spiritual and then natural. Friends, often when we journey with people who have engaged in sex outside of marriage, there are things that we call soul ties that need to be dealed with because you have joined yourself with another. You have come into an agreement with another. And now you are outside of the protection of the covenant, so you've allowed the enemy a legal stronghold to enter into your life. 
you have partnered with wickedness. You've made an agreement with wickedness. Sex is made for covenant. Only in covenant is found the commitment, the security, the trust, the vulnerability that cultivates the intimacy that cannot be cultivated outside of covenant. Because sex is about intimacy, right? If there's no intimacy but there is sex, it borders on abuse. Sex is the pinnacle of intimacy. And in the covenant is the only place where we can actually cultivate what is needed for true intimacy. If sex is from God, it is a gift, it is sacred, it is holy, and it points to something more. Whom of you know that we will not be married in heaven? Everyone that is married say, ah. But you will be married to Jesus. Everyone say, yay. So God gives us the covenant of marriage as a sign of something greater because you won't be married in heaven. In the same way, God gives us the gift of sex as a sign towards something else. It is holy, it is pure, and it points towards a much greater intimacy that will come. So if sex inside of covenant points towards a grander or clearer picture of heaven, hear me out, then sex outside of marriage points to a grander, much clearer picture of hell. Because when we abuse the boundaries of God and utilize the gifts that He has given, we corrupt the gift and also the, the person practicing is corrupted. When we operate up outside of God's boundaries, we corrupt what He has made beautiful. And we have given the enemy the prerogative to own sex in our culture. Now we take back what God has given as a gift. Genesis 2, 24, 25. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. This is God's desire. You see, in the garden, when sin entered into the world, they, they stood naked and ashamed because they knew that all of their lives were now laid bare before God. And that's one of the greatest things that we need to deal with in our own lives is that aspect of guilt and shame and how Jesus comes in and he clothes us with his own righteousness. His blood cleanses us so that the guilt and the shame can be washed away so that we can again stand before God and say, I am naked and unashamed because he knows me, he knows me completely, but I've been made clean completely. But now we take that into our sexual lives. There is no way, you can go and test this, there is, don't test this, there is no way that you can be sexually active outside of the covenant knowing that the Holy Spirit is present and not be naked and ashamed. There is no way that you can be sexually active knowing that God is present outside of His boundaries and not be naked and ashamed. And friends, that is where the enemy keeps us entrapped. Because if I am walking around with a guilt and a shame, I do not have confidence to approach the throne of grace. I will need to do something first. Tim Keller, who led um, a, quite a big church in New York, and someone asked him a question. They said, what do you think is the greatest resistance to revival in the world today? And he was speaking from his context in Manhattan. He said, the fact that singles are sleeping with one another in and outside of the church. Why? 
Because if there is sin against your body, it will rob you of your intimacy with God. Friend, if you have a guilt and a shame covering you, you will not with confidence and boldness go to God and ask Him bold, for bold things to do in this world. We will have a reservation in coming to God. So what does sex outside of God's boundaries rob you of? Not pleasure, not the delights, not the, the overflow of your desires. It robs you of intimacy with God, which is the ultimate goal. I want to end with this. Eugene, you can come up. Thank you. You will never be well married unless Jesus is the spouse of your soul. You will never be well married unless Jesus is the spouse of your soul. And this counts for singles as well. We are speaking very specifically into a topic today. Friends, the ultimate goal in life is not our happiness the ultimate goal in life is not our expressions of ourselves. If you look at Jesus, if you look at Paul after he converted, they did not get married. By default, they did not have sex. I do not think Jesus felt that he lived an unfulfilled life because it's not the ultimate goal. This life on this side of eternity is about knowing God intimately. And God has given sex as a gift, as a foreshadow of what that intimacy will look like. It's a weird picture for us to try and grasp in church. But it should be a beautiful picture that in the loving union of two people who have given the, of themselves completely to the other person, there is this celebration of sex that brings about unity, that is for the pleasure, that does um, um, enable us to procreate. But it's a beautiful thing, and it should awaken our hearts for a greater intimacy with Jesus one day. Therefore, sex is sacred. It's holy because it's about Jesus. It's not about your body. Let's pray. I want to give you a moment this morning just to allow the Holy Spirit to come and speak into your life. If you are married, what is the Holy Spirit speaking to you as a husband or as a wife this morning? Is this something that you are seeing in your marriage? Are you walking in the fullness of the gift? I'm thinking of a parent that gives their children gifts for their birthdays. And how when the children interact with the gift, it brings joy to the giver. Are you enjoying the gift that God has given into your marriage? Or are there maybe some things that you and your spouse need to speak about? And it's good to speak about it. Because sex is a gift. It is good. If there are parts of your sexuality that has been scarred, either by your own doing or the doing of others, there is healing. Because again, our sex and our sexuality is about so much more than just ourselves. It is about God. And God is committed to upholding His name and His glory. And He is the great healer. There is no scar that He cannot heal. There is no shame that He cannot lift. Jesus became the one who was accused on your behalf if you will call out to Him. What I do want to encourage you with is because 
Paul says that um, sexual sin is sin against our own body, the enemy has us in a, in a very tight grasp when it comes to our past. And sometimes we struggle to get free from the accusations, the shame, the guilt, and the fear of the past. And the enemy has told us that it is shameful to speak about certain things to others. And he keeps us in that place of stronghold where we never get free. And maybe you are living with the fruit of that bondage in your marriage today. Maybe you are living with the fruit of that bondage in your single life where you see you are not in line with God's word, with His boundaries. I want to encourage you to reach out to someone. It will take humility. But friends, it is for freedom's sake that Christ has set us free. And He wants you to walk in freedom. He wants you to walk in the fullness of what He has planned for your life. That there are great gifts that belong to the children of God. And if you know there's areas where the enemy has kept you captive, I really want to encourage you to reach out to someone. If you are in a connect group and you are comfortable, speak to your connect group leader. If not, please do come and speak to some of the leaders in church. But the enemy wants to keep you enslaved. And he has allowed you to believe a picture about your life, your past, and your future that is not in line with God's word. And God wants to redeem it. Father, we thank you that first and foremost, you are good and everything that comes from your hand is good. I pray, Lord, over us as a church that you will protect us. Redeem the picture of sex and sexuality, Lord, in this church, in Jesus' name. We take back what the enemy has stolen. Father, we ask that you would protect our marriages. We ask that you would protect those who are not married. Lord, we ask that you would protect our children. We so desperately need you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will be the after preacher. That you will minister into marriages today. Lord, that you will minister into broken hearts, um, hurt hearts. Hearts that are maybe filled with guilt and shame. That you will come and minister. Friends, the Bible is so clear that if you run to Jesus, He will not reject you. And even born-again Christians struggle. Paul says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because Christ took upon Himself the fullness of the condemnation. What you do receive is forgiveness. What you do receive is times of refreshing when we run to Jesus. Lord Jesus, I pray that our marriages and our sexual lives, our sexuality will be an image that shows a much grander and clearer picture of who you are and of what heaven will be. We pray this in Jesus' name.